You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analog photography related. Eighteen days, twelve rolls of film, five airport hand checks, and three point-and-shoot film cameras. In today's episode, I'll be telling you all about my wonderful adventures in Japan in late March and early April 2023. Keep listening for details on what my favorite camera was, how much film I actually bought in Japan, and also details on how you can get a copy of my brand new Zine 35mm Japan. I'm Matt Murray. And this is Matt Loves Cameras. Hello, my friends. How are you? I hope you are well, wherever you are all around the world. Welcome to another episode of Matt Loves Cameras. It's been a little while, hasn't it? I think the last episode was in February. That was the judging of the X-Pan competition. And don't worry, I have not forgotten about the X-Pan zine. That will be coming out hopefully in the next month, a digital copy. Uh, so you'll be able to get your hands on that very soon. But today's podcast, uh, I, the reason I haven't been podcasting so much is because yes, I went to Japan. We went to Japan in late March, I think it was the 24th of March, and we were there for 18, 19 days. So it was quite a long trip uh, leading up to the trip. Uh, my sort of family kept reminding me of this. Uh, my wife was sort of saying, why are we going for so long? And then my son came up to me one day and, and said to me, Dad, why are we going to Japan for 18 days? Um, but the, the answer is, well, because we've got a lot of cool stuff to do. There's lots of, you know, theme parks and shrines and temples and trains to ride. There's cherry blossoms to see. Uh, so, yeah, that was <laughs> that was the general plan. So I'm going to talk you through all of my adventures uh, about that. Now, leading up to the trip, I was actually having a few health issues. I was having these weird, I don't know, uh, feelings in my around my heart region, like uh, this kind of, it wasn't pain. It was like a feeling would sort of rip through the left side of where my heart is. And I, I don't know, I, in the end, I went for all these tests. Uh, I went to the hospital actually one day, one afternoon, because I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, thankfully, listeners, I was not having a heart attack. Uh, they just said to me, look, we don't know what it is, but it sounds like, you know, it could be stress or anxiety or something like that. Uh, I'd never experienced that before. So, you know, while I was relieved to <laughs> to be told that I was not having a heart attack, um, it sort of made me think, well, what in my life is doing this uh, to me. So yeah, it's made me sort of reflect and think about that. Now, the wonderful thing was going to Japan for 18 days uh, was just just amazing for my health in so many ways. Uh, I did not have any of those weird feelings in my heart. The whole time I was away, we were walking every day. I think we walked most days between 15 and 20,000 steps. And some days we walked as many as 22 to 24,000 steps. So it was wonderful. It was just getting out there, walking, going upstairs, visiting places, going to theme parks. Uh, It was amazing. I actually managed to lose three kilograms, which is about six and a half pounds, which is really amazing because I've been trying a long time to lose weight and it wasn't happening, you know, like incremental, tiny changes. But to to lose that much weight, you know, in 18 days, all while uh, drinking beer, drinking coffee, eating fried chicken, 
And also I was gorging on Jap Japan's amazing chocolate bar called Crunky. It's like a milk chocolate with kind of crispy sort of bits in. So given that I was eating all that kind of food, um, I, to manage, you know, losing three kilograms or six and a half pounds, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed. So uh, Japan for so many, in so many ways that the trip was really, really good for my health. And I really can't wait to get back. In fact, I'm even, I'm even thinking about going back later this year by myself for a solo photography trip but I'll tell you a bit more about that later when I did get back to Australia by the way I had some more checks um, I actually had a CT scan of my heart for a calcium score basically to see how clogged up the I think the arteries is arteries in your heart I don't know but they do this score and you have to lie there on the table and they tell you how clogged up your arteries in your heart are and I had to wait like 10 days to get into the doctor for my results. I was a little bit a little bit nervous about waiting for that. And uh, the doctor said to me, well, you've got four zeros for the test, which means your, you know, your, your heart arteries aren't clogged, clogged up at all, which is good news. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't the first time that Matt Love's camera has got zeros for an exam. Uh, but in this case, I completely welcome it because it means, uh, well, it was good news. So uh, hopefully, you know, those issues are behind me. And um, yeah, I just want to, I've been trying to walk a lot since I got home as well just to try and keep the weight off I, I put a little bit back on I must admit but I've got to try and get out there more friends and uh, grab my cameras and, and and keep walking anyway enough about the preamble I'm going to tell you now about my wonderful trip to Japan so if you go onto the Matt Loves Cameras website, of course, that is mattlovescameras.com. At the top of the page at the moment, the, the lead sort of story is 35mm Japan film photography zine. So if you click on that, or you can also, at the top menu, there's also uh, a link to the same page. It's called Buy 35mm Japan Film Photography Zine. So if you click on that, you'll go through to the page where you can, all about the new zine. Basically, this is a zine I've put together from those 12 rolls of film that I shot in Japan. So there's a picture there of the cover at the top with some nice swan boats on. And there's details of the zine, some information about the zine layouts. There's a new point and shoot sticker, my friends. Yes, this is the new Matt Love cameras point and shoot sticker of course if you uh, if you see my youtube or my instagram or my tiktok or anywhere else you'll know that the matt loves cameras logo is like a polaroid camera a polaroid rainbow stripe but this new one is a point and shoot camera and i've actually got a little statement from my lawyers to read out here the new matt loves cameras point and shoot sticker in no way resembles the contax t3 any likeness is purely coincidental um so there you go it definitely does not look like the contax t3 uh, I mean, it kind of does. But anyway, uh, so there you go. That is the new sticker. You can see an image of the new sticker on that page, on the zine sale page, about halfway down, Matt Loves Cameras. And it's got the little MLC logo in the bottom right and around the lens. It has, hasn't got Carl Zeiss around the lens. It's got Matt Murray on the lens. Uh, if Matt Murray made a lens, it'd probably be like a plastic, you know, cling film kind of lens. I don't know. Uh, but there you go. That is the new Matt Loves Cameras sticker. So you can get one of those. Uh, I think it's about six people in the world who already have one. I think Lucy Lumen's got one. I think Anthony Ritchie's got one. I think uh, Matthew Photodudens Joseph's got one. There's only a few people who've got one. But you can get your hands on one if you're one of the first 40 people who order the new zine. And you can do that, of course, on that page I'm talking about on mattlovescameras.com. 
Now, if you go down a little bit further, there's details of a new postcard. I've only done one postcard with this zine because I've actually got quite a lot of uh, other postcards still from other projects because you kind of have to order three or 400 postcards to make it uh, economically viable. So you like, if you order 10 postcards, there's no point. So I've got all these postcards left over. I've done a beautiful one here of a nice shrine in Hokkaido, red and white, and there's snow everywhere and pine trees. It looks beautiful. And then if you go down a little bit further, there are 12 more selected photos that feature in the zine. Now, there's over 40 film photos in the zine, but I've put about, I don't know, 14, 16 on this example page just to give you a flavor of the kind of things that you're going to see in the zine. And I've put a little gallery of 12 at the near the bottom of the page, near the bottom of the page. So what I'm going to do now in this episode, I am going to talk through the 12 photos. I can't talk through all 40 photos. It would probably be like a four hour podcast and I'd be telling you about all my adventures and all stuff like that. And yeah, it would go on forever. And so I'm just going to tell you about these 12 photos. Now, these aren't the 12 best photos in the zine. These are just 12 photos sort of representing, I guess, I don't know, different sort of scenes, different places. Uh, there's quite a few people pictures in here. Uh, there's some with nice shapes and colors, there's a couple at night. So yeah, I'm going to be talking you through all of these. Now, unfortunately, I've kind of completely mixed up the, like these are not in the order of the trip either. Uh, so yeah, they're sort of all random. I'll be jumping about all different parts of the trip. Um, but I, I hope you sort of enjoy the little stories here. So the reason I've only put about, I don't know, 14, 16 example photos on this page is there's quite a few other really amazing pictures. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not bigging up my photo skills here. You know, when you've, when you've got a Contax T3 and a Minolta TC1 and you're in Japan, like you can't help but take good photos, right? So there's some real, real bangers in the zine that you won't, see on this page so I haven't like put all of the best the best ones on the page and then you're going to get the zine and open it up and there's the rest of crap no these are just a, a small selection because you know how you sometimes you, you go to a you see a, a movie trailer right and you, you're watching the two minute trailer for the movie you're like oh my this is hilarious oh my god this is amazing I've got to see this movie it's so funny and then you watch the two hour movie and literally every funny bit from the movie was in the trailer and the rest of the movie is crap well this is not like my zine my friends I've, I've, I've kind of pulled out just random photos from the zine to talk about. So these are definitely, I wouldn't say these are the 12 best photos. There's probably two or three that would rank in the top 10. But uh, anyway, let's get on with the map. Okay, so looking at this gallery on the page here, let's talk through the first photo. Actually, no, I, before we talk through the first photo, I'll just give you some background. So we left from the Gold Coast airport here in Queensland. Uh, the, the the flights from the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast is a bit further away from where I live, from Brisbane airport to where I live. Uh, so the Gold Coast is about an hour and a half drive. So we drove down there in the morning past Lucy Lemon's house and we got to the airport and I took 22 rolls of film with me. So I took quite a bit of Kodak Color Plus, uh, Fujifilm Superior 400, Adox Color Mission. I uh, took a couple of rolls of Cinestill 400D. I took, what else did I take? I took, I took a roll of Ektar. I took a roll of Pro 400H. I took some Natura 1600 and some Fujifilm Superior 1600. 
So I think that was the mix of films I took with me, 22 rolls. And the night before, I remember sitting in the room I'm in right now, friends, and I was I was kind of not quite organized. And I was frantically deboxing the film near midnight because, you know, for hand checks these days, it's probably best if you take the film out of the packaging and put them in a clear plastic bag. So I remember sitting here in, the, in my home office at night, you know, frantically undoing cardboard boxes of film and undoing the, the plastic canisters and putting the film in bags. So I did that to two, two different bags because they wouldn't all fit in one Ziploc bag. And when we got to the Gold Coast Airport to check in, um, we, it's kind of weird, the Gold Coast Airport. To get to the international section, you have to go through domestic security and then you're in one sort of area of the airport and then you have to go through international security. It's really quite odd. So I went through domestic security and I showed the film. I said, oh, hello, can I please have a hand check? And I smiled. And the lady went, oh, she sort of rolled her eyes, but she was like, she was fine about it. She was great. I think she was just like, oh no, one of these film nerds is here. So, you know, without even having to ask too hard at all, she was, yeah, yeah, no worries. So they did that for me. And then I got to the next security check, which was the international one. And again, they were like, yeah, fine. They, they checked all of the film, uh, did a hand check. And what they do in Australia, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's like they, they, they check it very carefully by hand and they do like a swab, I think. And they put this swab through a machine. And I think the swab shows if there's any residue for like explosive components or anything, you know, uh, it's kind of weird, uh, but that's what they do in Australia. And so I got all the way through to the international lounge with my family uh, for the flights. And I was very, very happy that I had two hand checks of the film. And, and that was great. Now, we got to Japan later that night. We stayed one night in a hotel at Narita Airport. And then the next morning, we, we had to stay overnight in Narita. We couldn't keep going because it was too late. Uh, the next morning, we got back to Narita, domestic airport, and we flew up to Hokkaido, the beautiful city of Sapporo, which is like the next island up, Hokkaido. So we went, it's probably about an hour and a half flight, had a really nice curry in the, uh, I think a katsu curry, katsu kare, in the, uh, the airport for breakfast, which was really nice. Had some Tokyo milk pie as well, which is, funnily enough, Tokyo milk pie is not a milk pie pie. It's like a biscuit. Uh, so we had that for breakfast. And then once again, it's uh, Narita domestic. They did a hand check. Six days we spent in Hokkaido all up. When we left Hokkaido, uh, we went back to Sapporo airport and Sapporo domestic airport did a hand check there. Thank you very much. And we flew down to uh, Kansai airport, which is near Osaka. And then we sort of worked our way back up to Tokyo and then when we left Tokyo at Narita International, it was funny. The, the only place along the whole trip where I saw a, um, you know, basically a sign saying, uh, you know, you can ask for a hand check was at Narita Outbound International on the way back to Australia. And it said, photographic film, please ask for a hand check. But ironically, like I was actually like really happy. Oh, great. I'm not going to have any problems here. But I actually had to kind of ask twice at Narita International. Uh, they were a little bit like, oh, we don't want to do it. And they, the guy picked up the bag and then he put it on the, you know, the trays that go through the x-ray machines. He actually put it in the tray and I went, oh, no, no. Can I please have a hand check? And they're a bit like, oh, okay. So I did think it was quite odd that the only place that had a sign telling you to ask for a hand check, but they're a bit reluctant to give you one, but they, they did give me a hand check on the film. So there you go. Five airports, essentially, well, four airports, but Gold Coast had two security checks and I had hand checks all the way, my friends. So I was very, very grateful for that.
I have had mixed success in Australia. Uh, the Australian Film Photographers Facebook page, you know, I'm sure like all film photography pages, one of the favourite topics of conversation, uh, well, not maybe not favourite, one of the most frequent topics of conversation is airports and film. And people have all these weird ideas like, oh, if, if you only ask for two or three hand check, two or three roll hand check, they'll do it. Uh, or, oh, you know, if you're, if you're firm and polite and smile and insistent, they'll do it. Like, no, that's just all rubbish. You know, I am, I am, I'm polite and I, you know, ask very nicely. And if they say no, I'll ask again. Sometimes they will do one for you. Sometimes they won't. It's, it's as simple as that. It depends on the staff. It depends on who the manager is or the security check at the time. You know, saying there's some secret formula to, to getting a hand check at airports is, is, is ridiculous in my opinion. And any anyone who says, oh, you just have to do this or you just have to do that, that's probably based on, you know, a very narrow, limited experience of what worked for them and their mates. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you when you turn up to the airport. So it, it is worrying. Uh, I know Bill 2, uh, my friend Bill 2 was talking in a group chat and he was basically, I think he was wondering about Amsterdam Airport, uh, you know, whether they've got uh, the new CT scanners. And I think he was actually put off. Um, by taking film with him on his trip later this year overseas. So I think he's going to shoot digital. So it's a, it's a bit of a shame really, isn't it? That, uh, you know, not only have we had this situation where color negative film has been very thin on the ground, film shortages, film price rises, um, but now we can all travel again. Uh, we're all a bit reluctant to take film because we're worried that it'll get ruined. Uh, so it's it's a very a very strange kind of uh, situation we find ourselves in. Anyway, back to this gallery on the Matt Loves Cameras website. Let's get stuck in. We are going to start talking about the photos. Here we go. So it feels really odd doing this, but the first photo in the gallery, I think it was on our, probably our second last day in Tokyo. So if you have a look at the photos, there's a gallery of 12 photos and the first one is a stall, like a food stall. So this was taken on the Minolta TC1 with Adox color mission. It's pretty kind of gritty, the colors and the grain and whatever, um, but I do like it. So this afternoon, what had happened was we're on an 18 day trip. Okay, we were walking 15, 20,000 steps a day. Some days we were on seven, eight, nine, ten modes of transport, going back, you know, between walking and trains and trams and buses and taxis. By we got the time we got to Tokyo, which was at the end, like we started off in Tokyo technically, but by the time we were back in Tokyo to leave, the kids were pretty exhausted. And on the Monday before we left, I think this is a probably day thirteen or fourteen. Um, my, we were actually split up for the first day. So my son and I went to the west of Tokyo. We went to uh, Kichi Jojo, I think it's called. And we went to the Capybara Cat Cafe. And we went to Nakano Broadway. And we had a really good time together. And my wife and my daughter went to Disneyland. Now, we'd already been to Disneyland before, like seven years ago. And we'd already, on this trip, we had been to Universal Studios in Osaka, which was amazing. Oh my gosh. It was the best theme park I've ever been to. It completely wipes the floor with Disney, in my opinion. So my, my daughter still wanted to go to Disneyland, though, and she couldn't go by herself because she's, she's only 15. So, well, she's only 14 at the time, actually. So my wife said, yeah, well, I'll have to go with her. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go to the Capybara Cat Cafe with the boy, um, because my wife hates cats, um, so she wasn't keen to go to that. 
So that was the day we kind of split up and we did our own thing. Um, my wife and my daughter were not back. I think we were back. My son and I were back, you know, like early afternoon, chilling, stuff like that, having an ice cream in the apartment. And my wife and my daughter were not back until like 10 o'clock at night because they stayed quite late. And so then my daughter sort of came down with, uh, uh, we thought it was COVID, we had to go get a COVID test and all this. Uh, but in the end, she was just kind of run down and sick. So by the end of the trip, it was, was one day where the kids basically didn't leave the apart hotel. They just stayed in the, the hotel apartment all day um, on their iPads and on their phones. And just they just needed a rest day because, because basically Matt Love's camera's itinerary had been, you know, had run them ragged, my friends. Too many shrines, too many trains, too many taxis, uh, too, too much fried chicken. So they were, they were just chilling in the hotel. Now, naturally, I was not content with this. So I'd actually gone out in the morning. I went to the JCII Camera Museum, which was wonderful. And in the afternoon, I got back and I said to my wife, you know, do you want to go somewhere? And she said, hey, great. So because she, she'd been in the, in the apartment all morning. So I said, why don't we just go to Ueno Park? It's not too far from here. It's probably like 15 minutes on the train. So we, we actually went off together. It felt quite strange going out without the kids, leaving them behind. But um, I guess that's something that we'll get used to now that the kids are a bit older. And so, yeah, we headed up to Ueno Park and we got out there and there's a big, massive park there. We actually went there many years ago, uh, well, seven years ago um, when the kids were little. And so we, this time we went by ourselves. The cherry blossom season, this was on about the 10th, 11th of April. So the cherry blossom season had finished, but they had they had all this, like these barricades up in the park. Like, I think you had to walk on the left if you were going one way and walk on the right if you're going the other. And they had barricades just to kind of separate the traffic flow because I think in cherry blossom season that park is absolutely rammed but by the time we got there we we're probably about a week or 10 days too late for the cherry blossoms in Tokyo but we still had a nice little look around the park and so this scene here is some some street food so I think there's all kinds of uh, like octopuses oh is that even a word octopuses octopi squids shrimps all that kind of stuff uh, from these gentlemen uh, serving it in Ueno Park and you can see there behind them there's like a lake with all these reeds um, just to the right of where we were there's a beautiful Buddhist temple I bought a like a sakura a cherry blossom wood uh, rosary beads uh, Buddhist rosary beads I've been looking for one for ages and, and finally track one down and then we just walked around the lake. There was a couple of sort of cherry blossom trees. Um, but yeah, so we, we had a lovely afternoon. And that's where that photo there is from. The next photo is right at the start of the trip. This is of a tram, or as they call it in Sapporo, a streetcar, a streetcar. I always think of a streetcar named Desire when I hear the word streetcar. Tr streetcar isn't really a word that we would use in Australia. We usually use the word tram. But this is a beautiful streetcar or the Shiden. It sounds Germanic, doesn't it? The Shiden, or sh sh maybe it's Shiden, Shiden in Japanese. Uh, so this is the Sapporo Shiden. It's uh, basically a tram. Trams used to run all over Sapporo, but now they just run in a big loop. It takes about an hour to get around the whole loop. So it's not, not like, you know, one city block. It's it's quite fairly big area, uh, but there's only one loop for the tram now. And it goes in both directions. So there's an inner tram and an outer tram. And uh, you can just jump on. You can get a ticket all day and, and ride the trams. Uh, I absolutely loved riding the trams. So this picture here, again, is on the Minolta TC1. This was on Color Plus, Kodak Color Plus 200. And this is just at a, a place where we got off the tram and we were waiting for the next one. And it came around the corner and I took this photo. So I really love uh, the, uh, the, the colors here, the red tram. I'd actually been shooting Minolta TC1 quite a lot. 
Um, I actually had it on a strap around my neck because it's so light. And so, yeah, I, I've been really, really having a good time uh, shooting with the TC1. It's an absolute joy to shoot with. The next photo, we're back in Tokyo at the end of the trip again, and this is in a little restaurant here. So it's kind of, kind of got like, there's a, to the right of the image, there's two gentlemen in the kitchen preparing food. And on the left, there's like a red strip diagonally down the image of the counter, the red lights of the counter. And there's a Japanese couple and there's a single lady on the end. And this is, this is where I had dinner one night. So I think this was probably the same night when the kids were staying at the apartment all day. I would found out that there was a little izakaya, is it, is, is that how you say it? Um, it's a little bar where they serve food as well as drinks. And these, these places are pretty small generally. And so I decided um, I wanted to go there. And I'd heard that this one down the, the road from where we were staying had did like really amazing raw tuna. So I was like, yeah, I love raw tuna. So I actually had raw tuna with my friend Alan at the Film Sweats on the Gold Coast in February. It was it was wonderful. And the tuna here in Tokyo did not disappoint. It was beautiful, like five pieces of tuna come out on a plate. Uh, that was really nice. They also gave me an entree. I didn't really understand what was happening. Like they gave me this other plate with um, these little white clear things with eyes on. And I was like, what the hell are these? These are gross. And I, I used Google Translate and I said to the waiter, I said, oh, what's this? And he he, he typed back, oh, this is white bait. And I looked at what the, what is, what's white bait? And white bait, some tiny little fish. So here's some raw white bait on a plate for me to eat. So, you know, you know in Japan, you've got to, got to do what the Japanese do. So I ate the white bait. Uh, it wasn't particularly enjoyable, to be honest. The tuna was a lot... Tuna was sensational, actually. Tuna was amazing. But I'd had a, you know, I had one beer by this stage, and I think I'd ordered my second beer. So I was like, well, you know, may as well eat the white bait. And then my wife um, texted me and said, oh, I've left the kids. I'll come join you for a beer. But then she got a bit lost. And so I went to the door, and I'm looking out the door waiting for it. It's quite a cold night. The guy, one of the guys behind the counter was, I think he was watching me like a hawk. I think he thought I was doing a runner. Um, so I was like, oh, where's my wife? Well, we should get here because it's embarrassing. The guy thinks I'm trying to run away without paying. Uh, but then she came in as well. And then he, they tried to give her like um, the little plate of white bait as well. And we were like, oh, no, thank you. Uh, but we got her a beer. And so yeah, it was very nice. Had a, she had one beer, I had two. And then when we got the bill, like there was a couple of unexplained charges on there. And Sarah was like, oh, what's this? You're going to question this? Like, uh, like it's three or four dollars. Uh, no, I'm just going to pay it. I don't care. Like last night in Tokyo, I'm not going to get into some discussion about the bill. So I just paid the bill. I think it was like fifth, uh, about 40 US dollars. Maybe, maybe it was less than that. I can't remember. But I just paid the bill. And um, my wife said to me, oh, you should have questioned that charge on the bill. Anyway, I actually found out after I got back, I'm in a Japan travel uh, Facebook group and someone actually explained the charge uh, on there. I never knew this before I went on the trip, but apparently at these izakaya, there is, or izakaya, there is a, like a, a seat charge. So you pay like $3 or something like that to sit at the bar. That's just a charge you have to pay and you'll typically get a little dish thrown in for that price so the charges on the bill that one explained were the seat charges for my wife and I so there you go um, so I'm glad I didn't contest the bill or argue because that would have been embarrassing I just you know I went with my my gut feeling friends and my gut feeling was that these were you know good honorable people and they weren't trying to rip me off I just I as a as a foreigner I just couldn't work out what was going on so the next photo is okay this is one of my my favorite photos it's a photo of the back of a woman's head and she's looking out at the lake 
at um it's near a place called Kichajojo, Kichajojo. Um, and I'm just trying to find what the name of the park is. It starts with an I. I'm just looking through my notes here. It's to the west of Tokyo. It's a really beautiful lake. It is in Inokash Inokashira Park. Inokashira Park. So this is a beautiful lake. Uh, there's beautiful trees surrounding the lake. Apparently about a week, 10 days before we were there, all of the green trees that you can see in the image were pink because there are a lot of them are cherry blossom trees. So it would have looked absolutely stunning if we'd been there 10 days before. It still looked very pretty, um, but the, the trees are green. And on the lake, there are these boats. And you'll see from, let me have a look. Yeah, you'll, If you look at the other photos on the page, you'll understand that these are the swan boats. These are the swan boats, the swan paddle boats. So when we were on our way, we'd already been to the Capybara Cafe, my son and I. Capybara was kind of big and I don't know why my, my son likes them so much, to be honest. I wasn't I wasn't particularly fond of the thing. It was kind of big and lumbering and looked like it was in a grumpy mood the whole time. The cats weren't particularly social, like they were completely over people trying to pat them. So it was it was a weird experience, those, those uh, Japanese animal cafes. Uh, I'm not sure I would go to another one. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. There's a very funny kind of, when you turn up, it's, all, it's a very uh, defined kind of pattern to the whole thing, right? So you turn up, ring the bell, they let you in. You have to put, you know, uh, antibacterial gel on your hands and wear a mask. And you have to take your shoes off. You put your shoes in a locker. You take your bag off. You put your bag on a locker. You have to read the instructions, you know, like don't smack the capybara or, you know, not that you would anyway, but there's all these list of rules, right? And then you get into this in-between area where, so the capybara can't escape. There's like, you're in this little section where there's the door either side and then you get let in and, and then the, the cage opens, this big cage door opens and the capybara reluctantly comes out. It, it, it's a re really weird experience um but my son was just made up uh, to actually see a real live capybara so you know i i guess i i can't complain too much but after this we walked down to the lake and this is where we saw this lady on a bridge looking out at the lake looking at the swan boats now you'll see here from the photo you can't see her complete outfit but she has uh red hair i suppose you could say it looks like it's been dyed she has yellow earrings she has a pink uh, top on and an orange sweater over the top of it. She is pretty much dressed up as Velma from Scooby-Doo. Okay, so she was, Velma here was on the bridge. She was staring out at the lake and she just looked really sad. And I sort of studied her. I walked back and forth a few times and my son's getting bored. Like, what are you doing, dad? Taking photos. Uh, but I walked back and forth quite a few times and she just stood there staring out at the lake, you know, dressed like Velma from Scooby-Doo. And I, I almost wanted to speak to her and say, are you okay? Um, you know, something like that. But of course, obviously language difficulties. And she was probably fine. I, you know, probably should just mind my own business. But it, she she did kind of fascinate me. So I took a picture of her. I took a few pictures of her, actually. I took some with digital and I took this one here on my Contax T3 with Lomography, a 400 film. And so it kind of, the, the dimensions of this, actually remind me a little bit of a Japanese flag because you have like the circular Velma's head in the, in the middle which is like a circular shape and then there's it's surrounded by the blue uh, of, of the lake so I really love this image um, I don't usually take pictures of the back of people's heads uh, but I really love this I really love the colors the the pinks and the oranges and the yellows the blues the whites the greens uh, I think that's a really lovely image of Velma there If you would like to support this podcast, why not buy our dad a coffee? Visit coffee.com. That's K 
ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras and buy him a coffee for just $3. So the next image we're going to look at is one of, I love, I love this image. It's a lady at Shibamata. Now before with that Velma, we were on the west side of Tokyo. Shibamata is more the east side of Tokyo. It's a little temple town to the east of Tokyo, about 45 minutes away from Tokyo Station or Akihabara or any of those places. So yeah, it's you get on a train and you get out there and it's a, it's a beautiful Buddhist temple there. There's all these beautiful sort of cobbled streets, lots of shops, lots of people selling food and sweets and different treats and souvenirs. It's actually well known, this town. There was a Japanese movie based in Shibamata. It was called Otoko wa Surayo. I hope I pronounced that right. It's, the translation is, it's, it is tough being a man. Yes, it is. It is. It is tough being a man. Uh, and it was filmed, that movie series was filmed there from 1969 to 1995. And there's actually a statue of, of one of the characters uh, from this movie right near the station. And a lot of people will actually go to Shibamata and take their photo with the statue. Um, so we got off the, we actually got a, ta- we actually got off at a neighboring station and then we had to get a taxi up to Shibamata. And we walked from uh, near the station all the way up to the shrine, took lots of pictures of the Buddhist shrine, walked back along the shopping street, back to the back to the train station and went back to our hotel. Now, if you want to see a lot of that footage, make sure you check out my YouTube video. So if you go to youtube.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras, there is a video on there called What Is This Mystery Japanese Film? Uh, is it actually called that? Uh, no, it's called Mystery 35mm Film! Exclamation mark Eskura Showa Camera Film bought in Japan. So it's actually been uh, pretty popular, this video, over the last three weeks. It's had almost 2,000 views. And so this is the story of when I went to camera stores in Tokyo and I couldn't find much film at all. I couldn't find any Fuji Color 100. I couldn't find any Fujifilm Premium Superior 400. Uh, very well, there's no no Fuji color Fuji film color negative film at all. There was some slide film. There was some black and white film. There was quite a bit of Kodak about, but usually if they were selling Portra or Ultramax, there would be a one or two roll limit per person. So there you go. There was there was very little Fuji film color negative film, which is what I really wanted, but there was none. But there was this mystery Japanese film. It's called Eskura Showa Camera Film. Now, a reader of my Substack newsletter, Akira, who is Japanese, I, I didn't know what Showa meant. And Showa is actually the name of an era in Japanese history that corresponds to the life of the uh, the Emperor Hirohito. We, we know him as Hirohito in the West, but in Japan, he's known as Showa. I think that was, I'm not sure if that was his last name or first name or what it was, but that's how they know him. And so the the film, I guess the name of the film is referring to a period that, that it was, you know, days gone by from the, you know, post-war period up until, say, the 80s and 90s. And so this, the name of this film is even evoking this feeling of retro and nostalgia, right? And if you look at the box, very beautifully designed box, Escura Showa camera film, 
all the scenes on the box are like little alleyways or lanterns and stuff. So it's got a very retro sort of vibe to it. The colors on the box look desaturated and a bit grainy. And so I had to shoot this film. And so I thought if I'm going to shoot this retro kind of film, I need to go to a retro old school kind of place, which is why I went to Shibamata. So check out that video. There's lots of footage of uh, Shibamata, some footage of Akihabara in Tokyo, and lots and lots of photos. And at the end, I actually reveal what the film is according to my lab. Now, interestingly, on the negatives, I had a contact sheet done for this film. And usually when you do a contact sheet, you know, it'll have the frame numbers and it will have, you know, Portra 400 on there or, you know, whatever the the, the, the code is for each film on the, on the side of the, the edge there. This film had nothing, had no frame numbers, had nothing, had no names. It just had the images on the contact sheet and which is really quite interesting and I actually asked in my film photographer well it's not my my film photographer's chat but in the film photography podcasters chat lots of very well-known people in there um you know Mike Gutterman I think was I think actually I think M from Emulsive was a person who started it but Mike Mike Gutterman I think is the is the unofficial owner admin leader of the chat so I posted in there, like, you know, is this normal? Is this normal when I get a contact sheet done um, for it to have no edge markings, no frame numbers? Uh, I know from the previous contact sheets I've had done by my lab, they always did. And I didn't want to bother my lab because I know they're so busy. So I just wanted to put it out to other film photographers. Like, is, is it is it normal that this happens? And um, I had a couple of good answers. I think, was it Andre Dominguez who answered or was it... Bill's Studio C41. I'm not sure. A couple of people chimed in. I think Andre did, definitely. And, but probably an interesting, probably the best answer in a way was from Alex, from Alex Lux, who runs a very good YouTube channel. Check that out. Uh, from the classic camera revival up there in Canada. And Alex said, you know, for, for bulk rolls of film, which is suspected that this show a camera film is a bulk roll. He said for bulk rolls of film, it's kind of, you know, it's unusual that a film would have no frame numbers and no edge markings. But in the context that this is some bulk roll, we think, you know, chopped up and sold in stores, it's, it's not, you know, it kind of makes sense. It's odd, but it's, it kind of makes sense. So there you go. So if you want to find out what film it is, if you want to see the images, make sure you check out my YouTube, Matt Loves Cameras. But this is one of the first photos here, this lady at a stall. This is one of the first photos I took at Shibamata. And uh, yeah, like I love this lady. Like I was, <laughs> she actually, I was trying to take a photo without her seeing me. But just as I pressed the shutter, she looked over and smiled. And she sort of said to me, where are you from? I said, Australia. And we had a little chat. Now, I actually posted this, uh, the story of this film on F-Stoppers as well. And someone in the F-Stoppers comments actually said that above the lady's head to the left, when you're looking at the photo, there's some Japanese writing in black. And he, he said it, it says golden poop, gold or gold poop or golden poop. And he said, did you try the golden poop? And I didn't even know it said golden poop. And I used my Google Translate app and took a photo of it. And indeed, it did translate as golden poop. So I have no idea what gold poop is. Uh, is it some kind of souvenir thing? I have no idea. I know here in Australia, you know, some stores will sell things like, you know, kangaroo poo. And it's actually just like, you know, raisins or sultanas in chocolate. You know, they sell it as kangaroo poo. So what was this golden poop in Shibamata? 
I have no idea. And I guess I'll never know. But there you go. I love this lady. She's got a great smile. And I love all the Japanese sort of signs and all the souvenirs here. It looks really cool. You can see from the image, the film is quite a fairly sort of desaturated, kind of grainy, kind of contrasty. Uh, but yeah, I really like this film and I love this photo. The next photo is of some cherry blossoms in Kyoto. So by the time we got to like Kansai, Kyoto, Osaka, that was the peak time for the cherry blossoms. In fact, I think it was just at the end of their peak. And so there were cherry blossoms everywhere around Osaka, around Kyoto, around Nara. Uh, we also went up to stay at a Buddhist temple in Koyasan. And there was all along the, the railway tracks of beautiful cherry blossoms. So I just love this. I loved seeing the cherry blossoms. I love pink flowers. <laughs> In fact, my my phone lock screen is of pink flowers that I shot here in Australia. I think they're peach peach blossoms or plum blossoms or something down in uh, Stanthorpe in Queensland. Uh, but these are beautiful cherry blossoms in Japan. I, I just love seeing them. I tried to take like the perfect banger photo of cherry blossoms in Japan. Didn't quite work out. I don't think I really got a, a you know, I didn't already nail the brief. I got some okay photos, but maybe not the one I was looking for. They are kind of hard to photograph in a way because they look sort of stunning, but when you get up close, it can be hard to try and get the essence of them, you know, I don't know, uh, but I did try. So this photo here is just some beautiful pink cherry blossoms with the, the blue background there. And what I really loved about the cherry blossoms is that when the wind blows and the petals fall off and it's, they sort of softly float towards the ground and it feels like it's snowing. And I think we were somewhere, I think we were, might have been in Nara or somewhere, and it was quite windy, and there's all these cherry blossoms, there's all these deer eating the cherry blossom leaves on the floor, on the ground, you know, the deer eating the cherry blossom leaves, it was funny, and there's a little girl, and she just had her eyes closed and her arms out, outstretched, and closed her eyes, and, you know, she was, you know, all these cherry blossom leaves are falling on her, and she was just loving it, so I thought, hey, you know, how wonderful is this? So, there we go, that is the cherry blossom photo. The next photo, we are back in Tokyo, and this was right near our apartment hotel, just down the street, actually, probably, I don't know, 20 seconds from the front door, and there was a little shop here with a couple of vending machines either side, and there are these two ladies. In Japan, you see a lot of active older people, like you see people in their 70s, 80s, riding bikes and, you know, working in stores and just, I don't know if it was because I was in a different environment and I was taking notice of things a lot more. I just felt though, however, the overwhelming feeling I got was there's a lot more active older people in Japan than you would see in Australia or the UK for that matter. I, I don't know. That's just the feeling I got. And so here are two ladies here. I have no idea how old they are. Um, I think the lady, the small lady on the left, I mean, to be honest, she looks like she's probably in her 80s. I've no idea though, but there's two ladies here having a chat outside. I've got their masks on because, you know, Japanese people are very good citizens and, you know, wanting to protect each other and all that. And um, the lady on the left is sort of leaning backwards a little bit. And I really like this because it kind of mirrors, there's actually a street sign that's bent over and it's sort of leaning the same way in the image. Uh, so this was taken on the Minolta TC1. I'm just trying to find out what film it was. Adox Color Mission as well. So there you go. I really like that image. 
The next one is of some gentlemen walking down the street. Now, this was taken on, actually, this is taken in the Nihonbashi area of Tokyo as well. When I was out walking one night, I think I had a couple of beers and just, just walking around the neighborhood, you know, taking photos. And these gentlemen had come out of a pub or something, and they're just walking down the road. There's, so there's six of them. It kind of reminded me of uh, <laughs> Reservoir Dogs a little bit. They're just walking down the road, having a good time. Three of them are wearing masks. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit blurry, I suppose, because the I took this on the Fujifilm Natura. I had a role of, of Natura sixteen hundred in the film, high speed color film. It actually turned out really well. The images from it, I was a bit worried if it had aged too much, but the film looks absolutely fantastic. Um, but the only thing is with the Natura is, you know, you're shooting at ISO 1600, you're shooting, when you put high speed film in the Natura camera, it shoots F1.9. So I think probably the area of the photo that is in focus is the awning of the shop there. It looks pretty sharp. And because uh, the gentlemen are moving, uh, they look a little bit, you know, there's a bit of a, bit of a sense of motion there that walking down the street. Uh, but I do really like that photo. The next one is in Tokyo again. Of course, there's a lot of Tokyo photos I've just realized in this gallery. So at our apartment hotel, uh, we stayed in some really nice hotels. Probably the best hotel we stayed at were in Hokkaido. We stayed at a lovely place in Sapporo. I think it was the Makua. You know, just at a bog standard chain hotel. But it was a lovely room and it was a big room. It was the biggest room I think we had in Japan. And then we went up to uh, a hot springs resort. We had a lovely hotel room. Uh, by the time we got to Tokyo, though, Tokyo is expensive. So Tokyo, Tokyo, we basically we stayed in an apartment hotel, an apart hotel, apartment hotel, which is like a hotel, but it's a bit more basic, I suppose, a bit more like an you know apartment, I suppose. So we we checked in, and then they said, okay, you got to go up to the fifth floor. So we went up to the fifth floor, and the the lift opened up uh, onto this like balcony area. And there was a view of a motorway. And yeah, none of us were very impressed. My daughter was like, oh, this is, you know, this is not the standard of accommodation. That I, I said, oh, okay, well, you know, if you want to stay somewhere nicer in Tokyo, you can pay next time, you know. Uh, that kind of teenage attitude uh, a little bit there, um, you know, not fully understanding how much this place actually costs per night. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing about Japan is that you typically, you have to pay uh, when you pay for a hotel, it's not you're not really paying for the room. You pay for the number of people staying there. So because my kids are over 12, they're basically adults in Japan. So we basically had four adults. We're paying the rate for four adults to stay in a hotel. So it doesn't work that you just buy a room and fill it up with as many people as you want. So yeah, having going to Japan with kids over 12 is a little bit expensive because you basically got four adults for everything. Um, so we, yeah, we got up to the fifth floor. The apartment itself was okay. It was, it was nice. It was fine. It was big enough. Um, but when you are on the balcony on that fifth floor, you look down, it was overlooking this car yard. I think it was like a car rental place or something, but I took quite a few photos of this scene. They're like little, they've got little matchbox cars, you know, there's red and yellow and white cars and blue cars. So I really love this. Once again, this is taken on the Minolta TC1 and Adox color mission. For the next two photos, we are back in Hokkaido, beautiful Hokkaido. We actually went on the, the hunt for snow when we went to Sapporo and there was a, quite a bit of ice and snow in the streets, but you know when snow melts, it's really horrible and it's like hard. It's like not the snow that you make a snowman with. It's just like horrible and gray. Well, the kids had started playing with that and it was pretty gross to be honest, but because they're, you know, they're, they're Aussie kids, you know, they're, any, any snow is amazing, uh, even when it's grotty and, and brown, you know. <laughs> 
at the side of the road. Um, so we, we did go on the hunt for snow. There was one day when we went up to this mountain called uh, Sapporo Tiene. Uh, we went up to the Olympia Ski Center. It cost us a fortune in taxis to get up there because the shuttle bus had actually stopped running because the ski season was over. This is probably like, I don't know, March 27th or March 28th, something like that. So we probably missed the end of the ski season by a week or two. But the, the snow was still there. And so we got a taxi up to the ski center. We got a gondola halfway up the mountain. And we had an amazing time building a snow, built a snowman. We had a snowball fight. It was a really magical day for us because, you know, we're just not used to snow. And so then we went back to Sapporo and then we went up into the hills um, to this little town called Jazankai, which is a hot springs or an onsen resort up in the hills. And then we saw some more snow. We couldn't believe it. We saw some more snow. So when we got to this beautiful hotel, it's like a, a spa hotel. There's an onsen in the hotel, segregated by men and women, uh, because you have to go into the onsen uh, in, in the au naturel, friends. You can't you can't wear a swimsuit. You have to go naked. So men and women are separated. Um, my son was a little bit like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I said I'd look. These little towels there, like as bad as big as a, a washer, you know, or what? Do, what do people call it? A what? A flannel? I don't know what people call it, but a little, you know, square washer thing. I said just like hold that over, you know, your, your private sex. We walk out to the onsen if you're that worried. I said I, I guarantee you, no one will be looking at you. Um, so we went out to this this onsen, and um, yeah, your beautiful hot springs. We went to the one outside at the hotel it was surrounded by snow and ice and you know in this rock pool the water is really hot like it's imagine a hot bath imagine the the temperature of a hot bath that you wouldn't actually get in because it's too hot that's what it was like it was so hot actually after about maybe four or five minutes I was like I felt like I was almost going to pass out so we, we we got out but that's where we were staying. We were staying at this beautiful hot springs hotel. And there was like a harp player in the evening or a guitar player one night playing in the in the, in the foyer. Really amazing experience. We could roast marshmallows on this fire. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was a wonderful hotel. But the day we got there, they wouldn't let us in the room till three o'clock, which was a little bit frustrating because I think we got there at like, I don't know, 10.30 or something like that. So we're like, okay, we've got to kill four and a half hours. But it was a beautiful sunny day and we went for a walk around town. We went to the souvenir stores. We bought chocolate. uh, We bought drinks and we just went for a little wander. And we actually found this beautiful bridge, like this beautiful red bridge. And we walked up to it. And then this next picture here of the river with all the snow and the rocks is from the Red Bridge. Now, if you want to see more of Jazankai, a beautiful, amazing, wonderful place, make sure there's another there's another video, another video. Check out my video, Jazankai, J-O-Z-A-N-K-E-I, a short film about travel and life shot on the Contax T3. So that is one of the worst performing videos I've ever had on my channel. I think it's only had, it's had less than two. 200 views it's only three and a half minutes but it's got some cool music to it and there's just some gopro footage of jazankai uh with stills shot on the contacts d3 i even though no one has really watched that video i love it i, I absolutely love it i'm really proud of it um i didn't compose the music unfortunately but you know uh, i i really enjoy putting that together I probably won't do anything like that again just because, uh, you know, it just hasn't done done that well. I'll probably do other videos. But there you go. Check that out. Jazankai, a short film about travel and life shot on the Contax T3. So that is what that image is about. That That's uh, the beautiful river flowing through Jazankai. 
The next image is the shrine in Jazankai. So on the way to the river, we actually were walking along the side of the road. Uh, we went to a convenience store. I think it was Lawson Convenience Store. There's all these convenience stores. Like my son, my son even said to me yesterday, we're in the car and he said, Dad, why are there so many convenience stores in Japan? There's not that many in Australia. And I said, well, I think there's like, What's the population of Japan? It's got to be like 100. And, is it 150 million? Let me have a look at Japan population in Google as I do this. 125 million. Okay, it's 125 million in Japan. So, um, you know, it's got five times the amount of people as Australia and a lot less land than Australia. So I said, there's just, you know, the population density is pretty big in Japan. And so, you know, pretty built up, pretty urban. And so they have, they have you know, they have convenience stores everywhere. So the two of the favorites, we we like to go into 7-Eleven, but we also probably, probably liked Family Mart the, the best. And there's also another one called Lawson. So we were ducking in and out of these stores all the time. Uh, we sort of went into one uh, in Jazankai, and there was actually like um, about five or six police arresting this guy outside, which was really, which was really quite interesting. I don't know what was going on there. And then after that, we walked up the road and we come across this shrine. Now everyone was it was only early in the morning, but everyone was already tired. And I was like, "Come on, let's walk up these stairs to the shrine." So everyone's like, "Oh, I don't want to walk up the stairs." So we walked up the stairs and we walked along this little path in the snow. And I can still, you know, hear the crunch of the snow underfoot. And it's just this beautiful little Shinto shrine here. And there wasn't much to see or do there, but I, I just loved it. It was very beautiful, very peaceful. There was an old man sort of doing sort of tidy up and clean up around the shrine. And I took this picture. I love the snow. I love the whites and the reds and the greens and, you know, the blacks and whites of the building. So there you go. That was shot on the Contax T3 with Superior 400 film. And the final image, the final image I am going to describe to you is actually the cover of the zine. Okay, so this one was taken again on the Minolta TC1 with, what is this? I think this is Color Mission. Let me have a look. I don't even know. Uh, Swan, I got it. I'm just looking it up now. Uh, yeah, Minolta TC1 ADOX Color Mission 200. So these are the swans at that Ino Kashira Park where Daphne was standing. And yeah, so the, after we saw Daphne standing on the bridge looking sad, I took a couple of photos of her. We headed down to the docks and we hired a swan. I think it was like 600 yen, which is about or about four US dollars. I think it was like 20 or 30 minutes. But honestly, these these swans are such hard work. You would not want to pedal one for more than 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, unless you had massive, big, thick tree trunk legs that are very muscly. Like, honestly, it was hard work pedaling this swan. But we had a good time. And we actually took quite, I took quite a few photos. Miraculously, I did not drop a camera on my phone into the lake. That would have been a disaster. Uh, but yeah, we had a really good time, my son and I, on the, on the swan boats. And that is the image that made the front cover of the zine. I had a few candidates for what I wanted to put on the front cover of the zine. Um, it's probably a few photos that were a lot better photos than this. But I guess I was looking for something quirky and fun and interesting. You know, I didn't want to put a serious, serious photo on the front cover of the zine. You know, I want to, you know, to me, film photography is about having fun. And, you know, I want to, I think the swans look really cool and really fun. So I put the swans on the front cover of the zine. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. That's the one you're going to use. (laughs) 
So there you have it. There are descriptions of 12 of the photos that appear in my new zine 35mm Japan. Now if you'd like to get your hands on a copy or you're curious about getting your hands on a copy, here are the full details. So go head along to mattlovescameras.com and on the homepage you'll see a picture of some swans at the top and it says 35mm Japan film photography zine. So if you click on that, well, there's also a, a link in the menu saying buy 35mm Japan film photography zine. So click on that and you will go through to the page where all of the photos I've described in this episode are. And underneath that little gallery of 12 photos that I described, you will see some links. Now there's three different links. So there's one for Australia. That's addresses only, Australian addresses. There is a UK one only for UK addresses. And the top one is for USA, Canada, and every other country in the world. So there you go. There is where you can buy the zine. So I'll tell you what you get in the zine. You get a first edition print run of 35mm Japan, which features over 40 images on 40 pages throughout the zine. Uh, it's printed on 150 GSM uncoated paper, very nice feel to it. The cover is 300 GSM silk paper with a smooth soft touch laminate finish. So at the start there's an introduction about the trip and then we crack on with all the photos and under each photo there's a bit of a story or a bit of a uh, some background to why I took the photo or why I was there or just interesting sort of stuff that I found out during the trip if you want to see some examples of that head up that page a little bit further and there's uh, under the heading zine layout you'll see two of the spreads so this is as if you've opened up the zine and there's a there's a two two pictures one on each page and you can sort of see some very very small writing but you can sort of see the examples there of the sort of the text that's under each one sort of where I was why I took the photo and also the camera and the film I use. Now, although in those in that gallery of 12 photos I, I told you about, there was a lot of Minolta TC1 pictures. I've just I've only just realized that after I described them all. The overwhelming thing though uh, about the trip, I actually thought that I used the Minolta TC1 more than any other camera. I think I shot five rolls of film on that, and I shot four on the Contax T3. And I think I shot three on the Fujifilm Natura. I think that works out. Yeah, 12 rolls. That's right. But I don't know. If the zine, the majority of the images were actually taken on the Contax T3, which is really interesting. I didn't really notice until I, I sort of jumbled up all the photos in Lightroom. And so what, what I did in Lightroom was I imported all 12 folders that I got from my lab, got, downloaded them from Dropbox when my lab, Ikigai Film Lab in Melbourne, did a fantastic job on the scans as always. So I downloaded 12 different folders. I imported them into Lightroom. For every single folder, I give it a some keywords. So I put Japan in there, obviously. I also added the, the camera, whether it's Contax D3 or whatever, and also the name of the film. So that way, you know, if I ever want to look for examples of Kodak Color Plus, I can just go into my Lightroom and search for that keyword and all of the, the banger photos taken on Kodak Color Plus will come up. 
So that's how I sort of organize my film photography catalog in Lightroom. I import them one at a time, add keywords. And so what I did then was of those 12 folders, I put them in a new collection and I sort of rated the photos uh, in terms of my favorite photos in, in this new collection. And so all the photos were jumbled up like from three different cameras, uh, lots of different types of film. And I just basically exported about 70 photos and decided to bring them into InDesign. Just the ones that really caught my eye and like, yeah, I definitely want this one in the zine. That's how I did it. I sort of just brought them in and sort of tried to pair them up with photos that complemented them. Now I'm actually going to be doing a, a video about how I made this scene. So make sure you keep checking Matt Loves Cameras YouTube. I've just, I've actually already filmed most of it. Uh, I've just got to, I was going to watch it back and, and make sure it actually makes sense. But I've, I have done a video of me making this scene or the very early stages of me making this scene and my process. So make sure you stay tuned uh, if you ever want to run through on that. Okay, so if you'd like to buy a print copy of the zine, this is what you'll get for your money. You'll get a first edition print run of 35mm Japan. It's 40 pages plus the cover, all full color throughout. You will get two Jazankai Shrine postcards. So that's that beautiful uh, red, black, and white uh, Shinto Shrine in Jazanko, surrounded by snow and pine trees. It's going to be a lovely postcard with a soft touch laminate finish. You're going to get two of them. You can get one to keep and one to send to a friend. You'll get another random postcard from a previous project. Now that's assuming that I have enough weight left in the envelope. So how it works for international orders is I have to buy this envelope, cost $11, and I can only put up to the, the envelope itself weighs like 22 grams, right? And then the, the whole thing can only weigh 250 grams. So you're only, you've only got about 228 grams to play with. So I've got to get the zine in there, the sticker, the two Jazankai Shrine postcards. And then if there's any weight left over, which I'm fairly confident there will be, you'll get another one, maybe even two, who knows, random postcards from a previous Matt Loves Cameras project. So it could be my Aussie Australian cherry blossom postcard. It could be my... Uh, a picture of the old repair shop with a nice old car I took on Cinestill 400D. Who knows? It could be one from my first scene every summer. I'll see what I've got left and what I can fit in subject to weight restrictions. But you should get a third and maybe even a fourth postcard. You will get the definitely get the new Matt Loves Cameras point and shoot sticker. The first 40 orders are guaranteed to get that. After that, you might get the point and shoot sticker. You might get the old Polaroid sticker. It just really depends. And again, a statement from my lawyers, the new point and shoot sticker does not look anything like the Contacts T T3. Any resemblance is purely coincidental. And Matt Loves Cameras definitely did not design the sticker based on his T3. Uh, you will get untracked shipping. So the shipping is included in the prices, of course. Um, now, untracked shipping is the most economical way of sending the zine internationally and in Australia. If I had to do track shipping, the, the cost of the zines would go up. Um, as it is, uh, the cost of Australia Post uh, services and also Mixum's costs have gone up. I mean, for example, Mixum now charge delivery. They never used to, uh, but they do. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not blaming them. Like inflation here is running at 7% or something here in Australia, as I'm sure it is. Uh, in a lot of countries around the world, um, but that is partly why the, the, the numbers I'm about to give you are a little bit higher than they were three years ago. So for uh, Australian orders, obviously it's a little bit cheaper in Australia because of the uh, domestic shipping, but Australian orders are 28 Australian dollars, 28 Australian dollars. 
Uh, for UK orders, it's £17.50. So that's all orders to UK addresses, £17.50. And for USA, Canada, Europe, everywhere else in the entire world, Antarctica, Burkina Faso, Bangladesh, wherever you are, it's going to be 22 US dollars, 22 US dollars. Now, there's a couple of other ways that you can get to see this zine. So ordering a printed copy and getting it via the post are not the only ways. Now, the, f the next way you can get it is by coming along to the annual Cameraholics Camera Collectors Club Camera Fair in Brisbane. It is on Sunday, the 4th of June. Sunday, the 4th of June. It's at Albion. All the details are on the website cameraholics.com. And so I'll have a little Matt Loves camera stand there. I'm selling some film. I'm selling some zines. I'm selling some cameras. I'm selling a lot of point and shoot cases. Like I have about a 15 point and shoot cases I got in a bulk lot years ago, like Minolta, Canon, Nikon. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which cameras they came from, but I'll be selling them off at $5 each uh, because I'm trying to declutter, thin the herd, raise money. I really, really, really want to get back to Japan later this year. It was it was so good for me in terms of my, my mental health, in terms of my physical health. Um, I, I love traveling. I love taking photos. I love Japan. And so I'm trying to raise a couple of thousand, a couple of thousand dollars to get back to Japan maybe in October and for a solo trip but I don't know how we're going to go hopefully I will get there um, but that's what I'm going to be doing so I'll be selling some stuff off at the Brisbane Camera Fair on Sunday June the 4th so if you are coming along, make sure you say g'day. Me, me, me will be there. Me, me and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be there. You'll be able to meet Mrs. Matt Loves Cameras. Uh, don't talk to her about photography or cameras. She won't have any understanding of what you're talking about. It really does not interest her at all. I, I believe she is coming along to support me, though. Maybe she, maybe she won't. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll think, no, it's going to be a cold morning. I'd rather stay in bed and uh, you can go to the camera fair by yourself. Who knows? But I will be there. I think it opens at 10 a.m. And I'll be taking a few copies of the zine uh, I'm actually assuming that they will have arrived by then I think the delivery date is the 1st of June which is three days before the camera fair so fingers crossed fingers crossed they will arrive in time uh, if they do arrive in time uh, for the camera fair you'll be able to buy one there for $22 so you're basically saving the $6 or $5.50 or whatever it is uh, shipping charge in Australia so if you want to pick one up 20 Australian dollars not 20 what am I saying 22 22 Australian dollars, 22 Australian dollars for a copy of 35mm Japan at the Brisbane Camera Fair. And if I if I am selling the zines there, you'll also, of course, get the sticker and you'll get the postcards. So don't worry about that. Uh, you might even get a, uh, a free uh, key ring, a film canister key ring. I might throw one of them in to try and, you know, try and sweeten the deal and twist your arm. So uh, look out for me there. Now, the last way that you can get your hands, well, maybe get your eyes on a copy of the zine, not, not get your hands on a copy, get your eyes on a copy, is by getting the PDF version of this zine. Now, the good news is that the PDF version of this zine is out right now, and I've put it on my Substack as a paid post. Okay, so I've got a photography newsletter, 
If you go to mattlovescameras.substack.com, you will get a, a beautiful photo of me there holding my holding my contacts T3. Look at me, don't I look handsome? Now from that page, it says, you know, a little bit of a rundown on what I talk about. It's not just film photography in the newsletter. It's also about travel photography. It's about Fujifilm X cameras a little bit. It's a little bit about my new Ricoh GR3 digital camera. So it's all sort of creative, fun photography, almost all color photography. So there's a prompt there to type your email and you can subscribe. So uh, after you do that, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fill it in as we're actually talking here and you click subscribe and then it will give you uh, subscription plans. Now the newsletter is completely free. However, I will be putting a copy of the zine obviously behind a paywall. Okay, so if you just wanna see all the posts and stuff, that's great. It's just click the none on the far right hand side and you subscribe to the newsletter for free. No problems at all. But if you'd like to get access to the, e the PDF version of 35mm Japan, you can choose one of the other options. The cheapest way to do that is by clicking the monthly one it's five US dollars a month. You can just subscribe for one month if you want and stop it. That's how you can get your hands on the PDF version of this new Japanese film photography zine. Now, over the next few months, I'll be adding lots more PDF zines onto the Substack for subscribers. So I'll be putting all of my back catalogue of zines. I'll be putting Every Summer on there, which was my first zine. My Polaroid Volume 1 zine, which is a, quite a small one, but it's kind of cool. I'll also be putting some of the competition zines on there. So I'll be putting Sproctastic on there, uh, Purple Grain. I'll be putting Pantastic, um, the 2021 and the latest one, latest Pantastic on there as well. So it'll probably be six, seven zines in the next couple of months, PDF versions of zines going on there for Substack subscribers. So that's what you get. There is also an annual uh, annual charge if you'd rather pay annually. It's 36 US dollars a year. Uh, with that monthly one, by the way, I, I couldn't actually make it less than $5 a month. I tried to lower it. I actually tried to put in $3 and it come up with this message saying the minimum charge is $5 a month. So that's why the monthly one is $5 a month. I, I couldn't change it, friends. With the annual subscription, I set that at $36 a year. And so you get everything uh, as, as well as the, all the stuff with the monthly, which is the subscriber-only posts with those PDF scenes. You'll also get a special thank you on my Substack and on my YouTube. And there's also another one called Founding Member. Now, Founding Member is $74 US a year. And you'll actually get a print copy of either Every Summer or 35mm Japan, plus postcards, plus sticker, sent to your address anywhere in the world. So there you go. There is the all the subscription options that you can see. But like I said, you are more than welcome just to sign up for the free one. Most people have signed up for the free one, and that's great. It's a, it's a great way to talk to people, get in touch with people, and they get something regularly in their inbox about photography. But if you do want access to those PDF zines, including 35mm Japan, this latest zine, it is, you'll have to take up the monthly, the annual, or the founding member membership. Now you'll notice when I was talking about all those zines that I'm putting behind the Substack paywall, 
I did not mention the Exprozine. So the Exprozine, of course, that was the competition that we we killed off. Finally, finished it earlier this year. It was we'll roll on for about a year. So it was a, it was a bit of a disaster in some ways. It was a, the longest running competition because of logistical issues. It just took a long time to to finish and close off and judge. So again, please accept my apologies for that. Um, but I will be doing a PDF version of that zine. And I'll be putting it for free on my Substack. So that will be the only zine that will be available for free through Substack. So make sure you sign up if you want a free copy of that zine, mattlovescameras.substack.com. So there you go. There are other ways that you can get your hands on this zine. If you want the printed paper copy of 35mm Japan, head along to mattlovescameras.com and you can pre-order one. There's only 50, 50 copies of the zine. So if you want one, make sure you get in quick and make sure you secure your Matt Loves Cameras point-and-shoot sticker. You can also get one by coming along to the Brisbane Camera Fair on the 4th of June. Hopefully, hopefully they will have arrived by then. So uh, fingers crossed. Stay tuned to my Instagram though, and I'll, I'll tell people whether I have them or not. Uh, but they'll be 22 Australian dollars at the Brisbane Camera Fair, and you get the sticker in the postcards as well. And the final way that you can get it, of course, sign up to my Substack and take out one of the memberships. The cheapest one is the monthly $5 membership, which you can just have for a month if you like, and you will be able to get a copy of the PDF version of 35mm Japan. And as I said, all of my back catalogue will be coming onto that behind the Substack paywall in the next two to three months. So there'll be lots more zine goodness on there coming very soon. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Now, talking about, um, you know, earlier in this episode, right at the start of the episode, actually, we were talking about uh, getting hand checks for uh, for film. Uh, it's interesting. A lot of people seem to be traveling at the moment. It's like the world's opened up again. Everyone's going everywhere. Japan, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, but Japan was rammed. Oh, my gosh. So when we went to Sapporo and Hokkaido, it was like we were the only non-Japanese people in town. The ski season was over. So there weren't a lot of foreigners, you know, in town. Uh, and so we, we came Occasionally we saw another white person, but it was really like odd to see another white person. We're like, oh, there's a white person because it was mostly just Japanese people there. Uh, so that was it was really cool. I felt like, you know, I don't know, I felt like immersed in Japan, you know. When we flew down to Kansai, which is Osaka, Kyoto, and then we went up to Tokyo. Oh, my gosh. Just like Western tourists everywhere, Europeans, Americans, Aussies. Uh, you know, there was there was people everywhere, and there was just a crush of people everywhere. And we really, we actually really enjoyed the the smaller places, the little towns and cities we went to. When we went to Kyoto and Tokyo, we just didn't really enjoy them as much. We did some really cool stuff, and you know, had great meals, and you know, had fun, but. Uh, there was just like it was just so many people there it was extraordinary um, now someone else another podcaster has been traveling recently Jeff Greenstein of course of I Dream of Cameras now I actually heard I was listening to I Dream of Cameras the other day Jeff asked for a hand check of his camera because it had film in 
Wow. I mean, tell you what, Jeff has got big balls because I, I would never ask for that. I would never say, can you please hand check my camera? I know the answer in Australia. There's absolutely no way they would hand check a camera in Australia. They would just laugh at you. Like I said, when I had my film, whenever I do have my film hand checked in Australia, they, they like do this swab and they do like they uh, test it for explosive residue and they put it through this machine and whatever. And they tell you, no, it's fine. Obviously it's fine. I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to blow anyone up. Um, but it's interesting when I was in Japan the three checks that I got in Japan they didn't do that they literally just did a hand check they literally got the can the canisters out and sort of shook them and looked at them closely and went yeah it's okay it's just film um so I thought that was uh I thought that was really interesting um that they're you know a little bit not not as uh, stringent in Japan as they are in Australia but yeah check out the balls on Jeff asking for a hand check of his camera you know next time you just gotta rewind that film man you gotta you've actually got to finish off the film before you get to the airport in fact when i was looking back at my images the three or four images of my son on the train and my daughter on the train and i was like oh man like what was i thinking taking these photos these are terrible like these are really bad photos and then i realized ah i know where we were we were on the train out to sapporo airport i had three exposures on the camera and i needed to finish off the roll and get it out of the camera uh, so that's where those terrible, horrible pictures came in. Right, well, I've been waffling on for over an hour, so I think this is a good place where we, we finish things up, friends. So, yeah, there's lots more videos to come on Matt Loves Cameras YouTube. I'm actually working on, at the moment, I've already, like I said earlier this episode, I've already published a video where I'm walking around Akihabara and Shibamata in Japan shooting Eskura Showa Camera Film, the mystery Japanese film on my Minolta TC one. So check that out. Lots of cool photos on that video. I've already started uh, also on another, my next video where I'm walking around Nihonbashi in Tokyo on Easter Sunday, a very cold morning. And you can see how much of a wimp I am <laughs> with the cold. Uh, I was shivering. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, but it was a little bit cold for me being a, being a Queenslander. Uh, but I walked around uh, Nihonbashi. I think the video might be 14 or 15 minutes, but you'll see me walking around the neighborhood, taking lots of photos. And uh, it's actually, that one as well is also mostly on the Minolta TC1, but there's a few images from the Contax T3, the Fuji from Matura, and there's also maybe three or four images from my Ricoh GR3 digital camera in that video as well. So hopefully I will finish off that video this weekend. And like I also said, I'm also working on a video running through how I make a, a zine in InDesign. Now, if I know a lot of people don't like Adobe, they don't like InDesign, uh, I will also try and do a video of me making one in Canva. Look, friends, I don't really like Canva. I must be the only person on the planet. I'm not a big fan of Canva. Some people swear by it. I think it's the, the best thing since, since sliced bread. Um, I don't know. I always find it a bit like not as... I just prefer Adobe products, basically. Uh, so I, I have had a look at Canva. And you can indeed make a zine for free in Canva, but you can't make a square zine for free. The, all the zine templates, the free ones, are all like rectangular portrait orientation so i'm just gonna have to have a look at that a bit closer perhaps i'll make the x pro one in canva and do a video of it that's it for this time take care cheerio hopefully i will be back soon with a, another new podcast take care my friends bye bye
to say you ruined that, but it actually sounded pretty good. Why, thank you. 